I couldn't have come up with this anyway, so I don't really have to be afraid that I don't have it together. It's not mine to start with. Okay. Here's... Hmm. Where's the starting point here? Um, we are going to talk about some of the phrases within Atta Gibor, which is the bracha of Givuros, um, which we've been talking about primarily on the high level. And I, um, I think where I want to start is not at the beginning, but rather at the middle. Um, in part because it's a transition from the high level that we've been talking about, which is Gvuros, the idea of Gvuros Mesukos, sweet Gvura, which is what activates that which is good. Um, and here in the middle of the bracha, there is this sort of detailing of Hashem sustains life with chesed. He revives the dead with great mercy, supports the fallen, heals the sick, frees the bound, and fulfills his emuna to those who sleep in the dust. Who is like you, Hashem, the master of all powers? Um, there is a way of thinking about it. I see this, I see brought in Rabbi Leff as noticing that the word chayim, mechal kel chayim bechesed, it's one approach that we've taken up till now has been because life depends upon gevura. That although life depends upon chesed and is a function of chesed, mm -hmm. it is also a function of gevura. It is chesed via gevura, mm -hmm. not chesed on its own, because that doesn't sustain life alone. Mm -hmm. um, but the word chayim, that plural chayim, and I, I think we saw this back in Baruch Sha'amar, it's plural. It's a life that is plural, mm -hmm. which is a reference to life in this world and life in the next world. Um, mm. So that leads us to reading at least this bit a little bit differently. Mechal kel chayim bechesed. Hashem provides nourishment. Hashem provides sustenance for all parts of our life with chesed. In other words, a person's life could be in danger because they don't have what they need to sustain it. And Hashem provides that with chesed. So we're accustomed to, I think, translating that only into the physical. Hashem provides a person's life might have been in danger because of illness or because usually with Michalkel, we'd be thinking of food or parnasa, right? that Hashem provides parnasa and, and the, the tools for life, the food for life, mm -hmm. with chesed. But 
what we need to also see over here is that Hashem also provides the food for our everlasting life with chesed. That is a whole different um, introduction. That is a whole different introduction to this paragraph. It, it's, I mean, the, it all starts with Atta keyboard, but to this sort of bulk paragraph of the bracha. Because it means now that the way that we need to see this gvura is in light of Hashem providing everything we need for life in this world and the next. Which, of course, then places everything we need in this world as only serving us towards life in the next world. Mm-hmm. That's the much bigger picture. So then when we say, which are all cases of life in jeopardy, then we have to see that also with two eyes, as they say. So that means that also a person's spiritual life can be in jeopardy. And Hashem heals us, supports us, frees us, saves us. Okay. So now that we've been nudged into seeing this paragraph on a new layer, Hashem, you support all life, not only as in all creatures that are alive and all creation, but all of our life, not only in this world, but in the next world, with chesed, that's chesed. Reviving the dead with great mercy, supporting the fallen, healing the sick, what it's done is by, by seeing this with two eyes and realizing it's one picture. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Let me use some words here from Rabbi Left's book. Hashem heals those who have fallen into sin and blemished their souls with spiritual maladies. That's Rofe Cholim. Hashem is Matir Asurim. He aids those who have become so entrenched in sin that they're bound by habit by freeing them from the bond and enabling them to repent. You know, we, it doesn't, it's not so hard to look at other people and say, thank you, Hashem, I could have been there. And yes, I may have worked hard or studied hard or done shuva or worked on myself, but even those things are not givens. Not everyone seems to do those things. How did I happen to be born maybe with parents who taught me to work that way or teachers who inspired me to want to be in that direction or the personal qualities that give me the strength? None of those are givens. So just the fact that I am able to get free from where I am or heal from where I am, that's a gift. Okay, but that's just seeing with the second eye. That's saying, okay, now I'm not looking at physical maladies, and physical, I'm looking at spiritual. What Rabbi Lef goes on to say, in all these cases, Hashem shows mercy 
aiding them to conquer their Yetzirah and reverse the negative circumstances they have brought upon themselves through sin. He doesn't ignore the sin. As we've said, we're not permitted to suggest that Hashem is a vatran, that he says, oh, never mind. I don't mind. We don't say that. Hashem is endlessly forgiving. Forgiveness is not the same as saying, I don't care what you do. That's not the same. Okay. He doesn't ignore the sin, but Hashem offers, to, offers help to one who desires to repent but needs aid to affect his desire. And then he goes on, and it could be this whole passage was based on the Maharam. I don't know. Here he attributes to the Maharam. He says, the Maharam explains, these processes themselves are akin to resurrection. Stumbling into sin is like stumbling into the grave because evil is like a form of death. When Hashem prevents a person from stumbling, it's as if he's lifted him out of the grave. Similarly, one inflicted with spiritual illness reduces his spiritual life force. His spiritual life is somehow shrunken. And when he's cured spiritually, his life force spiritually is restored. One who's bound up in sin and rendered unable to function properly is akin to one whose body is rendered functionless by death. So being freed from the spiritual bonds of sin or of habit, habitual sin, is akin to revival of the dead and restoration of function in the body. What I want to suggest is that these are two eyes of seeing one picture. That Somech Noflim and Rofechom, yes, it's talking about the spiritual side, but it's also talking about the physical side. That Hashem, in making a person sick and then healing us, in allowing us to fall and picking us up, what's being described is, because none of those negatives happen without sin. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, point to everyone who's obviously having trouble because they're the sinners. Okay, that's like, whatever. I'm saying that for the recording, not for the people at the table. Because <laughs> that's probably obvious. Okay, I'm not saying that. First of all, we all do things wrong, and we all, you know, on a fundamental level, see things incorrectly or, or selfishly or egotistically, which requires correction if we're lucky. Um, what I mean to say is that there is imperfection permeating. Okay, we're human. Human beings are imperfect. Our lives have, have stumbling and imprisonment and illness and death because of the very first sin. Okay, the fact that this exists in our lives is because of our sins that we take responsibility for. And there's no one exempt from that. There's nothing that we would point to at anybody else and say, oh, it's because of this, all right? But you remember that last week I quoted a Rav Tzadok in Sidka Satzadik, where Rav Tzadok HaKohen of Lublin said that Yisurim, right, he was actually, most of the, the focus over there was about pachad, about fear, which was at the level of Yitzira and Regesh. But he also talked about Yisurim at the level of the physical and how Yisurim is chait. It's what chait on a spiritual level, looks like on the physical level, mm-hmm. is Yisurim. If we take that insight of Rav Tzadok and bring it over here, 
then what we have is not two different phenomenon, a spirit, two different phenomena, a spiritual phenomena of God healing us from our spiritual maladies and a physical phenomena of phenomenon of God healing us from our physical maladies. That's not what we're looking at. What we're looking at is one single thing. There are just different windows on different floors. You know, you take an elevator up the different floors of the worlds and you look through if it had a window, you know, like some of those Israeli elevators and probably in Europe in general, the, the small elevators, right? There's a window in the door and you can look out and see, you see the floor going by, right? And you look in. So depending which window you look into, you're going to see something different. But you're really looking into one big room that's four floors high. You're just in a four floor elevator. So each window you look through, you get another angle. So when you look at it from the third angle, what you see is sin. When you look at it from the first angle, what you see is suffering. And it's the same, which means that this idea that in all of these cases, it's it is mechalka chayim bechesed and mechayim meisim berachamim rabim. It is the provision of life with tremendous chesed, pure chesed, which... How does that happen? The provision of all our needs of life with chesed happens via the revival of the dead with great mercy. In other words, the way that we are now able, because of chet, the way that we are able to receive all that is good is through a process of death and resurrection, or sickness and healing, or stumbling and getting up. Because that actual yisurim reverses the negative circumstances they have brought upon themselves through sin. The yisurim itself, right, it's a kapara, or as Rav Sadok said, it's a, an activator, an alarm signal to bring us to tshuva, right? It's the malach scratching and tickling at you and hitting you and saying, yo, <laughs> you did a sin, now you need to turn that into avodah Hashem. <laughs> how are you going to do that? Okay, through how you accept Yisura, maybe. Through how you do tshuva, maybe. Okay, it is not a separate phenomenon. It is Hashem's great chesed to us in order to reverse the negative consequences that we have created, to turn them into a new creation. It's a tchiyas amesim, even of our actions. We create dead actions. We create black malachim. And this is a process of bleaching them. And it's a process of turning what we would have created as stillborn behaviors, and they become, they become contributions to God's world and glory. I think, I, I think this is the truth, and I think that this is perhaps how we can read this paragraph. Now, that was what we said already last time. Okay, now I think I wanna, I wanna put that on the side for a minute. That's the introduction. Uh, it's also the conclusion, okay. As, which is as it should be. Okay, now I want to show you this, this other piece. Now this other piece is based on yet another other piece. 
which is based on a different other piece. Um, and plus connects to this other, other, other piece. I tried to find this source over here, and I didn't find it so quickly. So I'm going to read it from where it's excerpted to instead of from the original. Just That was what the extra hour would have been especially nice for. Okay. So here's, I'm going to go in the order that I sort of discovered this. This is from the Sefer Shimot Filosi, which is a collection of Rav Chaim Kanievsky's um, explanations and comments on the sitter. If somebody asked him a question and he gives them one of his notorious two-word answers, but Baruch Hashem, they've been collected and then provided with a little bit of context by those close to him. You know, this, what he's referring to is this verse, you know, which he only said one word of and helps to put it together. Okay, so about the word, verofe, about the phrase, verofe cholim. There are those who have written. Okay, he's going. I, I, I wouldn't say he's going to disagree with this, but certainly halacha lemaisa. Of course, Rav Kanievsky is one of the greatest poskim in our generation. I mean, this is this is what we have to rely on, right? So halacha lemaisa is going to come. Is not going to go according to what is about to be quoted. There are those who have written. That by means of relating praise of Hashem, by saying that Hashem is the Rofe Cholim, the one who heals the sick, which we say in this bracha of Gevuros, that through saying Hashem's praise, declaring that he is the healer of the sick, one can effect a greater cure than by asking explicitly. In other words, there's a greater power to praising Hashem for healing the sick than for asking him to heal the sick, which is an interesting idea. Okay, And it attributes this to the Sefer, Bnei Yisachar, in two different places, as quoted in the Sefer, Nafshi Cholas Ava Secha, which I am incredibly fortunate to have. It was a gift from our Mechutin, from Menachem's father. Um, so I have that, because it would take a while to try and track down the source. It was not as successful as I might have liked, which might also explain why it's brought in two places here. Okay. The Omnam, on the other hand, so in contrast, right, the, he quotes the Bnei Yisachar says, you realize that by praising Hashem for being the healer of the sick, you can cause, so to speak, greater healing than by asking Hashem to heal the sick. Omnam acherim tanu shebebrachos haoskos hashamakom. On the other hand, Others have uh, argued against this concept that during the brachos, where you are busying yourself with praising Hashem, you should not be busy thinking about the needs of people who are sick. Okay. This is a bracha of shevach, of praise of God. That is not the place to ask for things. Okay. What the reasons are halachically for that, there could be many. One is clear. It's distracting you from what you're doing. You're supposed to be praising Hashem. 
So why, that is not the place to ask for things. The place to ask is in Bakashos. There is a bracha. Baruch Hashem, That's where you ask Hashem to heal people who are sick. This is a place to praise Him, not a place to ask. It's just not appropriate. Okay? And this is what our teacher, meaning Rav Chaim Kanievsky, what he taught on this question. I am brachos lama dalad aleph. He says, see brachos lama dalad aleph. That's what he wrote. Okay, so fortunately, his student, <laughs> I'm not sure who compiled it. Let's take a look and see if it says. Don't know. I'm sure everyone else knows, but not me. That's okay. Okay, so now there is in brackets the appropriate quote from brachos lama dalad aleph. So that you know, somebody went and looked it up to see what was his answer. This is typical for Rav Chaim. Mm-hmm. He tells you the source, you and you can go look it up and see. <laughs> A person should never ask for what he needs. Not in the first three brachos, and also not in the last three brachos. That's not, the, this is what the Gemara says. Okay. As Rabbi Hanina taught, the first brachos are similar to a servant who is organizing his praise, who is laying out praise before his master. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can imagine to yourself, if you're praising someone, if you're praising God for healing the sick and at the same time asking him to mm-hmm. heal the sick, then what you're saying is there's someone sick he hasn't healed, and that undermines the praise, mm-hmm. among other things, <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. among other problems. But without explaining the Gemara, the Gemara says a person should not ask for what he needs in the first three brachos, or in the last three brachos. That's all. So that's his answer. You know, so it sounds, he doesn't, they don't suggest that he's arguing with B'nai Yisachar, although he's certainly entitled to, but it certainly seems to contradict the message someone might have taken away from the B'nai Yisachar, where the B'nai Yisachar is saying that it's even more powerful to praise Hashem for being the Rofei Cholim than it is to ask Hashem to be Rofei Cholim. Okay. So this, this is, um, a, a, and just an interesting point to have sort of, may as well say it here, um, Rav Chaim Kanievsky also answered, he said, to the question, L'she'ila, somebody asked the question, Ha'im b'davka ein maskirin kan gam. Like, why is it davka? That Chazal did not, that Anche Knesset Sagadola did not include mentions here also to Malbish Arumim and Pokeach Ivrim, as they did in the morning, Davne, in the Brachos at the beginning of Davning. Right over there, we also have Rofe Cholim, Matira Surim, right? Those are, those are based on Psukim and Tehillim. So why not also have the Pokeach Ivrim and the Malbish Arumim over here? Our teacher, our, our master, has taught us here, they're included in it. it. It means to include, it doesn't mean it's not. And so the principle here is beyond healing the sick. We're not only talking about healing the sick, we're talking about this idea in general that there are needs and there are sufferings and Hashem brings them about and he also heals us from them. Okay. Now, I, Baruch Hashem, so we have the Nafshi Cholas Avasacha. This is an awesomely named book, right? My soul pines, is, is lovesick for you. Hashem, that's the name of the book. Okay. And here, in fact, 
quotes from the Bnei Sashar. So now I want to go back and see what did the Bnei Sashar said, but having introduced it not only in the order that I found it, but with the understanding that we are not asking for what we want during the first couple brachos of davening. That's not the place for it. This is a place for praise. So this is now quoting from Bnei Sashar, the Ma'amarim on Tishrei, Maimar Beis Os Dalid, like I said. I opened up the Mamarim on Tishrei. And I opened up Mimer Base. And I opened up Postalid. And I didn't find it. So I have to look farther. I don't know if it's attributed wrong or if there's more than one version or I'm not sure exactly. Um, actually, that's not true. It is here. But I'm not sure how. I don't see the same flow, so I have to spend more time to figure out exactly. I don't know if it's excerpted in little bits, and that's why. I'm not sure. Okay. If a person, if a person has need to pray for healing, he shouldn't jump straight into davening and making his request immediately. Rak, rather, Yishabeach, Derech Shevach Lahabori Olam, Shehu Rofe Cholim. Before asking for what he needs, the person should first. Praise Hashem, the creator of the universe, who is the one who heals the sick. And in his thoughts, so even here, the Bnei Yisachar is not actually saying to go against the Gemara. You notice that he, he's saying, you do ask for what you need, but first praise Hashem. And in your thoughts, which obviously is the soul of what you're saying, but nonetheless, he's not saying that you should somehow now in your praise be asking. So he is making a distinction. In your thoughts, Yechavein, he should have the intention, to draw down healing to the one who requires it. The Habori Olam, and the creator of the universe, Hayodea Talumoslev, who knows all the inner thoughts of the heart, will do what he is requesting. Uh, but you can also understand why this is problematic question, why, why what Rukhaim says is different. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit warm. It's also getting a little noisy out there. Okay. The Hatam who, what is the reason for this? Kivan de Mazkir Sheva Habore. because I don't have these all Xeroxed out, so. Kivan demaskir shevach shehu poel ha-Yeshua hazos. The reason for this is that since he is mentioning the praise of the Creator, who is the one who does all of this salvation, mihu she who's going to argue with that? That's a very interesting way to think about it. So the suggestion is, that if a person just stands up and says, Hashem, 
please heal so-and-so. That there might be somebody arguing against that. Maybe that person has some need for the Sisura. Yeah. There may be malachim, some sort of spiritual force that contradicts. There may be a spirit... To say that there's a malach that will argue against it in court, <laughs> what that means in our terms, so to speak, is there may be a spiritual force that, contra- that contra- indicates what you're asking for. I'm asking this person should be healed. And maybe, that's, maybe they don't deserve it. Or maybe it isn't good for them. Or maybe it isn't time yet. Or maybe, maybe I don't know, all the arguments that there may be as to why that would not be in alignment with God's will. But if a person is praising Hashem as the one who heals the sick, who on earth is going to argue with such a thing? All the angels, meaning all the spiritual forces, are in agreement on this. right? Like Rav Tzadok said, every malach has one goal, which is fulfillment of Hashem's will. Even if it's the malach that's created by your sin. That's the only thing a malach does. Okay, so all the malachim are up there agreeing, saying, Amen. Right? Hashem, you're the one who heals the sick. Amen. In other words, that's what Hashem will tend to do. Okay, now these are, these are things we have to be careful of because it's a way of speaking. B'nai Saschar is Hasidish. It's a way of speaking that is not in accordance with the Lithrish approach to life, the universe, and everything. Okay? We don't go around saying, oh, Hashem will do what I said. <laughs> no. However, Hashem is the one who heals the sick, and Hashem does heal the sick. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the fact that I say Hashem heals the sick, well, he does. He does do that, which I'm saying he does. And there is certainly no spiritual force that's seeking to counteract that for the sake of God's will. Because that's praise. That wasn't asking. That's a statement of fact. Hashem heals the sick. And this, by itself, when attached to the fact that the trigger was the person's sickness, has now attached... It draws down salvation to Lanirza, to the one who needs it. I think that what that means is it now attaches the truth of that praise of God, that he is the healer of the sick, and it is now attached to that person and his sickness. That person becomes part of a general category rather than an individual case. Oh, that's all. Yes, exactly. We're not arguing the case. We're not in court arguing about it. And what we've done is now created a reality of praising Hashem as the Rofei Cholim, that it's like a balloon attached to which is this person with his illness. Because we set it with this person in mind. I'm thinking about somebody who's sick, and that causes me to think about Hashem as the healer of the sick and to sing out that praise. Okay, that's not something to argue about. But now the sickness is part of the solution. The sickness has become attached to the idea of Hashem as the healer of the sick. 
Uladati, and in my opinion, says Bnei Yisachar. Okay, you understand that I'm interpreting the Bnei Yisachar a bit. I, I hope correctly, meaning not so much changing what he's saying, I hope, as trying to understand how we can hear it. Because these are very, obviously most of what he's saying is far beyond our abilities. In my opinion, he says, this idea which Chazal have established, they learned from the Pasuk. And he quotes the Gemara in Brachos Lamed Beis Aleph, two pages before the other Gemara there. A person should always first present his praise of Hashem first, and only afterwards should he daven and make his requests. So he's, he's learning this from the same basic converse, conversation in the Gemara. Because when he is in the when he is singing the praise of God, Lamashal, for example, for example, praising God for being the one who heals the sick, all of the malachim respond amen. And agree to this praise. And even though afterward, now the supplicant comes to beg for great mercy and for healing, and he says these words straight out, then he says, Hashem, please heal the sick, later. He says, now the malachim will not um, debate this point in heaven. The suggestion is clearly that if you just had walked in and asked for the help, there would be spiritual forces that argued against it. But now they won't. Because that would appear as if they are now seeking to, bring, to lower God's praise. A person comes in and says, Hashem, you're the one who heals all the sick. I know this because I'm thinking about someone who's sick, and I know that you're the only one who heals the sick. You're the only one who made him sick. You're the only one who heals the sick. Malachim like, yes, please heal him now. That would be an awkward moment for a Malach to say, hang on, because now it's attached. Mm -hmm. right? It's an interesting concept. Definitely Hasidic Torah, right? But, but in the deepest sense. In the deepest sense, not the way people say that, as like being loosely connected. This is the opposite. Okay. This would be chas v'shalom as if they were nogea, like hitting at, sort of trying to bring down the covenant of the melech and his praise. As if chas v'shalom, they wanted to prevent that healing and that expression of Hashem as the rofei cholim. When they have only just praised him and sung amen, to the praise of God as the Rofei Cholim. And since the Malachim are not going to, Lekatreg is to, um, usually is used to mean to prosecute. But in other words, to bring a spiritual argument against somebody. 
towards the negative. Since he knows that the malachim are not going, the prosecution is not going to respond. Even when, the, now you're going to ask. First you were shevach, and now you're going to go into bakasha. So God already begins responding to this thought even before it's spoken. And this idea of Hashem answering a person even before he calls. Right? Hashem sends the refua even before the illness. Mm-hmm. That the, the response has been initiated even before the praise has been spoken. In other words, by saying the shevach, more is activated than even with the request. Okay. But he's really kind of explaining himself and saying, but it's not because the shevach is a request. That, that would be a mistake. That would be a halachic mistake. That would be definitely a protocol mistake. You don't ask for things when you're praising. However, there's something that happens in the praise. This is what Moshe asked for. And he quotes a Medrash on Devarim Rabbabes. Ribono Shalola, master of the universe, when you see your children suffering, and there is no one who will ask mercy for them. In other words, there isn't anyone who is suitable, who is great enough to ask for that mercy of you. There's nobody who's, who can't be afraid that by speaking up, he's not going to activate an even worse reaction from the malachim up there. The spiritual force, sometimes, you know, you bring something up, it's worse than if you'd said nothing at all. Miyad aneosam. Moshe said to Hashem, when your children are suffering and there is no one who can ask rachamim from them, please answer them immediately. What la'anot, to answer, always is a response. It's never the first thing. You can't start a conversation with an ania. Okay. So what is Moshe asking for? At first glance, that makes no sense. If there's nobody to ask you, answer immediately. Well, if nobody asks, then it's not an answer. Right? Okay. It's not a reply. He says, ah, no. Now we can understand. What Moshe says is, answer as soon as they praise you. Kodem hatfila, yet before the request. And this resolves the question of why the language chosen here was answer them, reply to them. Dekasha, which is difficult, when there was no calling out yet. It's hard to justify calling that answering. Okay. What I think one thing that that tells us is that in the praise itself, something has changed. And this is why the Gemara says, always praise before you ask. It's not that the praise is the asking. It's that the praise changes the reality. It changes the environment in which you're asking. So Hashem, please respond to the praise even before they ask for anything. Because the response that starts based in the, in the situation and the environment and the relationship of praise 
is in a whole different place. There is no argument against that. Mm-hmm. And now the world is different. And now if you ask afterward, it's a completely different story than if you had started by just asking. I think that this also connects. We have seen um, Rav Hutner has a statement. It's not in this notebook. It's actually in that notebook, as it so happens. between people, too. <laughs> That's probably true. Okay. Here's a quote from the Ma'amarim of the Pachat Yitzchak on Sukkot Mimer 70. All right. Klau Yisrael is accustomed to turning to Sefer Tehillim in any time of distress. This has led us to the impression that Tehillim and Tefillah are the same. In truth, Sefer Tehillim is more Zmiros than Tefillah. The difference is as follows. When it comes to tefillah, one must try to daven at an ace ratzon, an opportune time, a time when this is what God's will is. Whereas tehillim has the power to create an ace ratzon. I think that's what's being said here. Okay. Something has changed. And this is why, and I know that I've mentioned this before, but it's probably been a long time. When we daven for someone, we first say the Tehillim, and then we make the request. So, chas v'shalom, we hear that somebody is sick, and we're saying Tehillim for them, right? That's what we call it, saying Tehillim for them. First we say the Tehillim, then we ask Hashem for healing. Mm That is, oh, if we hear that the Jews in a certain community are suffering or there's danger, first the Tehillim, then the Achinu Kobes Yisrael. Okay. I think mm-hmm. this, this is, this is the, the flow of all of what we're reading here. He says, Hashem answered Moshe in that Medrash, any time that they call out to me, Hainu Osi Bilvat, to me alone, when a person is singing praise of God before he asks, and the thoughts of the person during that praise, somewhere in the back of his mind is an awareness of what is needed. Nobody else knows that that need exists other than God and him. He hasn't said it out loud. It's not there for the malachim to know about, right? This is an idea that there are malachim, there are spiritual forces whose job is to take the words of our prayers and bring them to heaven. Well, he didn't say any words over here. Mm-hmm. So thoughts, God hears all of our thoughts, right? Whether we're davening or not, we're in a conversation with him. Ani osam. So Hashem says, I will answer, I'll respond. There's no malach involved because the malach might bring it and, you know, like a dirty tissue. I care. I got a prayer for you, right? That's not so good, right? Hashem says, no, this is something only I hear, and I directly will respond. I am the one who knows all hidden things, says God. That there is a need, in fact, that the person who is praising me has some sort of need, and I will help them in that which they require. And then he goes, now there's another quote, also B'nai Yisachar, 
Nearly Lafarish, this is from the Mimer on Kislev and Teves, Mimer Dalid, Os Koflamates. Venerally Lafarish. According to what we have received, <coughs> what we have learned, on the Pasuk Mehula Lekra Hashem Umin Oiva Ivashea, I shall sing praise and call out to Hashem, and from my enemies I will be redeemed, I will be saved. <coughs> that one who is enlightened will not require to even ask of Hashem what he needs by asking. He only needs to praise. This would be a very high level, according to what the Bnei Sashar is saying. I don't, again, I don't know exactly how we should or could relate to this. For example, if someone needs to ask for Rafua, really it's enough that he should thank and praise Hashem, who does heal the sick, and this will, in and of itself, cause the illness to be healed. So cause Hashem to heal the illness without any arguments in heaven. I don't think that we could say that he's recommending that a person should not request what he needs. <laughs> this would be counter to the halacha, and this would be counter to everything else we know about tefillah, which is that God desires to hear us talk to him. And it would even counter the purposefulness of our need, the fact that we have need, which is in order that we notice and ask and open that conversation with Hashem. So I don't believe that he is saying it's better not to. I think what he's saying is it seems that it would become unnecessary at some point. That a person who is noticing Hashem's praise that this is, that everything is Hashem's and that he's doing it all, that that would, that changes the reality. Really, we're meant to then continue and ask for what we need. But that at least in theory, the change in reality is the only thing that's required. Certainly from the spiritual side, that's all that's required. But it doesn't mean that from our side, it's not still required to ask. Okay. And he explains a few other psukim in Tehillim in this way, that David HaMelech is thanking Hashem in different psukim for answering him yet before he even asked. Mm -hmm. So what's Hashem? How can you say that Hashem is answering before you asked? It should be, Hashem, you saved me before I asked, not you answered me before I asked. And in each of these cases, he says that's because there was a conversation going on. It just wasn't a request. It was a praise. And Hashem reacted to that. And now David says, I didn't even ask. And already you've healed. Already you've saved me. Okay. Okay. Now, there's one more piece I'd like to bring over here, which is the follows. The follows. The following. I need more sleep. Okay. The Bnei Yisachar in the first piece made an interesting statement. He says, when a person praises Hashem as the one who enacts all salvation, who's going to argue with this? All of the malachim are going to agree. Okay. Now I thought about that, and it reminded me of something else. Might have reminded you of something else. And that is a Gemara in Shabbos, Kufyutes Amud Beis. 
Rav Chista said that, Ravuk, that Marukva taught. Kol HaMispalo of Shabbos. Um, this is not really it. Okay. Maybe I'll start here anyway. Kol HaMispalo of Shabbos. Whoever davens on Erev Shabbos, Omer and says, Vayechulu. Vayechulu. That's the paragraph. We have it in Shemona Esrei in Meirev on Shabbos. Um, we have it in Kiddush on Shabbos. It's just saying that it's described as a, a tefillah. It's psukim. <laughs> it's from Bereshis. The heavens and the earth were completed and all of their hosts. And the Lord completed on the seventh day all of the creative work that he had done. And he rested all the work that he had done on the seventh day. And God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it, because he ceased on that day all of the work which God created to do. Whoever says that, prays that on Shabbos, again, you see this like it's, it's tefillah? It's, okay. Shnei malachai hashares. Mm-hmm. the two serving angels who accompany a person by the way that's a general statement mm-hmm. in other words we all know that every person walks around with two malachim the two okay this is one of the things about shalom aleichem okay this is what we're coming to right but mm-hmm. it's not that on Shabbos there are two malachim that accompany a person home from shul it's that there are two malachim that accompany a person at all times. And when he comes home from shul, this is what happens. This is what they do. But there's like other stuff they do on Tuesdays. Okay. They place their hands upon his head. Shabbos bracha. And say to him, This is a verse in Yeshaya. Your sins shall go away. Your sins shall be atoned. It's very nice. Did he do tshuva? Did he ask for his sins to be? It's a, it's a beautiful. It's beautiful by itself. I don't really need to know what was happening there. Yeah, but okay. Tanya Rabbi Yosi Bar Yehuda. Rabbi Yosi Bar Yehuda taught. It's not a contradiction. It's yet more in the same line. He said Shnei Malachi Hasharis. The two Malachi Hasharis Milavanlod Adam Be Erev Shabbos Mi Beis Hakneses Leveso. They also accompany a person on Erev Shabbos from the shul back to his home. Echad Tov Echad Ra. One good and one bad. You're gonna. This is a very very well known Gemara, right? You've heard this somewhere. You read it in a children's book. You heard it in a shir somewhere. I mean, it's that well known, right? Not that it's childish, but it's that well known. Okay, you can read it in a whole new way in light of these other sources that we've learned. Because now we've got like a good malach and a bad malach. What on earth is a bad malach? What's a bad malach, right? Okay, this is not Christianity. We don't, we don't believe in any force working against God. Except for human choice, potentially, right? There's no force that works against God. Right? Which means we're back to, thank goodness for Rav Tzadok, who told us that a malach ra, what's a malach ra? It's a spiritual force that seeks to fulfill Hashem's will. In other words, a malach ra is created by a person's hate. 
and it's still seeking to figure out how to unwind itself so that it becomes a force for fulfillment of God's will. That's his explanation, right? Okay, so a person comes home, he's got two malachim with him. One tov, one ra. Ukshebolaveso, and when he comes home, umatsaner doluk, and he finds a candle is lit, vishulchanaruch, and the table is set. We hope that that includes set with like a base medrash because they don't come into our <laughs> dining room and find the table set yet. We're still down. Umitaso mutsas, and the bed is made. Malach tov omer, the good malach says. May it be Hashem's will that other Shabbases will be like this one. And the bad Malach replies, He says, against his will. Or, actually doesn't mean against his will. It means by force. He is forced to say amen. Okay, I was reminded of this when I read this B'nai Yisachar, where he talks about, right, praising Hashem as the Rofei Cholim, and which Malach can contradict that? When the Malach says, it shall be, it is Hashem's will that it should be more like this, the Malach has to say amen. He's a Malach. Okay, he's called a Malach Rah. But, but the Gemara understands that you understand that a Malach Ra is not a force that's subverting God's will. It's a spiritual force. It only exists to, to create God's will. Or to, not to create it, but to enact it. That's what a Malach is. The Imlav, if it is not that situation at home, Malach Ra Omer, Yehi Ratzon Malach Tov One, Amen Baal Korcho. This I don't understand. I guess because the only way to understand it is by understanding that the Malach Ra is saying that it's going to have to be in this way, that there's going to be a correction through the negative. And the Malach Tov has to say Amen. Now how could a Malach Tov say Amen to that? Only if that's also a fulfillment of God's will. It's really quite a reinforcement of the Rav Tzadok. And it's a good thing, because otherwise it's difficult to know what to make of that. Okay. And Rav Elazar said a person should always set the table on Erev Shabbos, even if he doesn't really need to, because he only has a teeny, teeny bit of food. You know, if you're only going to eat, like, a slice of bread, did you really need to set the whole table? You need to put out plates and napkins and cutlery and china and crystal and... Assuming you had those things when you only have the quarter piece of bread, right? But okay, but put out the tablecloth. What you have, you put out what you have. But why? Okay, because it's not serving. Right, it's not serving the eating. It's it's praising Hashem for Shabbos. That's what it really is. That's the praise, and the praise causes the malachim to say, "This is Hashem's will." And what's to argue? Okay. Should you set your table? I don't know. This says even a kazayas. Maybe if you're not eating anything. I think you're meant to set up the house nicely is what it means. You set the house for Shabbos. It shouldn't look 
like the weekday when you come into the house. Okay. Going back to a few years ago when we talked about tshuva with the ribbon. Um, this is, and this is, and we talked about it again. Oh, yeah, the ribbon. The two-sided ribbon. If we think of it as being straight when we've done the right thing, when, what we're, when our actions are an expression of Hashem's will and being twisted or knotted when our actions are not Hashem's will, so to speak, then the unknotting of them or the twisting, whether it's from the top or from the bottom, can smooth it out. And from the top comes from a change of will, which involves tshuva. Um, another way of saying that in Shemona Esrei terms is seeing God's will as our will, our will being whatever God's will is. That has an effect on our bakashos. Our bakashos are very different. When we get to the parts of Shemona Esrei where we're asking Hashem to heal the sick, that comes from a whole different place if where we were standing is the praise of Hashem as the one who heals the sick. It's completely different because one is an expression of God's will. And if we just jump into asking Hashem to heal the sick, what we're asking for is our will. But if where we come from is Hashem's will is Hashem is the one, the praise of Hashem, he heals the sick. This is all a grand correction, reversing the negative consequences we have brought upon ourselves through sin. The suffering itself is a negative consequence we've brought about, but it's more than that. The suffering itself is a reversal of the consequence. It, it's not just that it's a consequence that God needs to undo for us. God caused the consequence to reverse the negativity that we created. The Yisurim itself is part of the chait. It is the, you know, like, remember when we used to have phones with cords? <laughs> so those curly cords and eventually you had to stand up on the table and hold one end of it and drop the receiver so that it could unwind itself because you, every time you picked it up with your, left hand, with your right hand and then put it into your left hand you gave it a half a twist and it just kept twisting and twisting and twisting and twisting and twisting and finally the whole thing is dysfunctional you, you pick up the receiver and the whole phone jumped off the table because it's all too tightly bound, right? So then you stand up as high as you can, hold it up, and then you plug it back in again. You remember this, Mrs. Khan, or is this before your time? The phone cords with the curly, <laughs> with the curly attachments. Yeah, okay. It's still my time. We still, the truth is it's very convenient because you don't lose the phone. You don't lose it, you don't have to charge it. Right? But I haven't had a phone with a cord for a while now. I haven't had that, like, it just suddenly came back to me, that project of standing there and unwinding, you know, like, okay, now they have little things. You can replace a little thing that turns itself around so that it, I'm not sure those ever worked amazingly well, but it was a great concept. Okay. So there's a sort of an option where I could come in and say, Hashem, I want you to heal somebody. And it's legitimate. We are supposed to talk to Hashem about things. That's fine. But if I come first with praise of Hashem and I orient myself, 
around Hashem's will and how he is running the world and what he does that is, and that it is all good. It's a whole different request before I even speak out the words. If I remember that someone is sick while I'm praising Hashem, it's not because I'm sneaking a request in. It's the opposite. It's now the way that I think about that should be different. Maybe I won't notice it if I don't think about it when I'm praising God. If when I'm praising God, I'm just singing hallelujah. And when I come and ask for what I want, I'm not remembering the praise. So what changed? But if when I'm praising Hashem, I'm remembering there are things that I think are imperfect. And yet, this is Hashem's will. Maybe they're perfect. Maybe all this is perfect. Maybe all this is necessary. Maybe if I understood why I was sick or why I was stumbling or why I was imprisoned, if I did understand it, maybe I'd be rejoicing. Maybe I'd be grateful for the opportunity in this world. Remember, this is where we all started, and I said this is the introduction, but it's also the conclusion. Mechalkel chaim bechesed. Hashem is providing the sustenance for our life in this world and the next, which is rabim, a deeply compassionate revival of the dead. That's the process. That is how Hashem provides for us in this world and the next, is through a process of things, these processes which are akin to resurrection, the stumbling, the evil, the suffering, all of these things are that which resurrects us and untwists the results of all of our left-handed actions. Good morning, Mommy. And in this manner, to continue now, <laughs> back to Rabbi Lev. Similarly, In this manner, Hashem establishes and fulfills his faithfulness to those who sleep in dust. This is now getting very late. So I know we started late, but I don't want to keep going. Okay, I'll just point out. Mekayim emunaso is describing Hashem having emuna in us. So we've talked about that here and there. I hope maybe next week we'll talk about it a bit more. His faithfulness to those who sleep in dust. The faithfulness is, okay, he's not necessarily describing it this way, but understanding that we have a moon on Hashem. We've talked about that a lot. Hashem having a moon on us means that he acts with us based upon his knowledge of what we can and will be, even though it is not present at the current moment. <laughs> right? That's, that's turning that around. Um, Hashem establishes and fulfills his faithfulness to those who sleep in dust. The process of death is also a process of atonement, like sleep that refreshes and restores one to his former state on a daily basis. Therefore, we say Hashem establishes his faithfulness to those who sleep in the dust. Okay. I'll stop there.